So good morning. It is good to see all of you on this rain morning. What a treat here in the desert to have rain. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this day. And Father, we do thank you for the rain that is coming down. Father, that's bringing moisture to this dry and brittle ground. And Father, we who live in the desert truly appreciate what you are doing for us, for your creation. And Father, we see your power in that. And Father, we see your power in this place. We see the power in the people who are here. Father, we see you working in their lives, working in our lives, working in this church. Father, we just pray that we will be people who will shine your light to the world around us so that others can come to know you. And Father, we thank you for your servant, James. We thank you for this letter that he wrote centuries ago. And Father, we thank you for the fact that it's been passed down to us so that we can read it as if it was written directly to us so that we can take the words that James has written and we can apply them in our lives and in the life of this church. And Father, we pray this prayer through Jesus, who is your Son, who is the Savior. Amen. So we are continuing our study of the book of James. We call it a book, but actually it's a letter. It's a letter that was written centuries ago. And it was written by Jesus' younger brother, by James. And it was written to his spiritual children, Children who had been dispersed, who had been scattered outside of Jerusalem because of persecution that had arisen in the church. They'd been dispersed over a large geographic area. And it's a letter that we have seen is full of practical advice and practical counsel. And we see that it's written out of love. It's written out of concern for people who are facing difficulties, people who are facing trials in their lives and in the life of their church. And even though this letter was written centuries ago, we're approaching this letter as if it was written directly to us, as if its salutation read to the church at Netherwood Park. And we're able to approach James's letter that way because he's addressing universal and timeless issues, universal and timeless issues that we face in our lives and that we face in the life of this church. So the advice and counsel that James gave in the first century is advice and counsel that was wise and godly and relevant then, and it's wise and godly and relevant now in the 21st century. Over the last few weeks, that if we read this letter as if it's written to us, if we read it personally, it not only comes through as relevant, it also can be very uncomfortable at times can be uncomfortable because we too struggle with things like showing favoritism, with things like taming our tongues, with things like bitter envy and selfish ambition. And today, James doesn't give us any kind of break at all because now James turns his attention and our attention to the importance of submitting and the importance of humility. And I don't know if those are uncomfortable topics for you, But they're uncomfortable topics for me. They're uncomfortable for me because submission and humility don't come naturally to me. I struggle to submit, and I struggle with humility. So let's once again listen to what our brother James has to say about submission and about humility. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. 
And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. As we have seen before, James is very fond of rhetorical questions. He likes posing these questions and then giving us the answer himself. And he leads off this section of the letter with yet another rhetorical question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And that's really a great question, isn't it? And in many ways, it's a question that James has already answered at other places in the letter earlier. Why do we fight and quarrel? Well, earlier in the letter, James pointed out that sometimes we fight and quarrel because we don't speak to others as we would like to be spoken to. And we fight and quarrel because we don't speak of others as we would like to be spoken of. Why do we fight and quarrel? Well, earlier in the letter, James made it clear that sometimes we fight and quarrel because we seek to grab what we want at the expense of each other, at the expense of our brothers and sisters, and even sometimes at the expense of our church. And sometimes James tells us we fight and quarrel because we're willing to even make threats. We're willing to threaten to quit or leave if we don't get our way. Why do we fight and quarrel? Well, earlier in the letter, James pointed out that sometimes we fight and quarrel because we bring those sectarian rivalries and those political maneuverings that we see outside the church. Sometimes we bring those inside the church. And then that brings competition and choosing side and winners and losers. Brings all that stuff into the very place that it should never be. And even though all those reasons really are true and they really hit close to home... In many ways, those reasons are symptoms of the true underlying problems. And James addresses those underlying problems here in chapter 4. Why do we fight and quarrel? Why do the sparks fly on dry and brittle ground? And why do wildfires break out? Well, James gives us two reasons that are at the root of our fighting and quarreling problem. And the first reason that he gives us for why we fight and quarrel, why there are fires within the church, is because we haven't submitted to God. We haven't made him truly the Lord and master of our lives. We haven't really become his slaves. We haven't really turned everything over to him. And the second reason that James gives us, and it's related to not submitting. It's because we fight and quarrel because we selfishly pursue what we want instead of asking God for our needs and especially asking God for the needs of each other. 
And this kind of casts worldly wisdom, the worldly wisdom that James has been talking about, it casts it in a slightly different light. We ask the question, what's wrong with worldly wisdom? We ask what's wrong with selfish ambition. We ask what's wrong with bitter envy. And we see here that they aren't wrong just because they cause fires within the church. Worldly wisdom is wrong because it isn't submissive to God. Worldly wisdom is rebellion against God. It's pushing God off of his throne and putting ourselves in his place. It's pushing aside God's will and replacing it with our will. But in contrast, heavenly wisdom, the wisdom that leads to peace, that's wisdom that submits to God. That's wisdom that submits to his kingship. That's wisdom that submits to his will. And for most of us, that's a problem. We're like Adam and Eve, and we're like most of their descendants over the centuries. We have a problem with submitting. We have a problem with making the choice to give someone else authority, to give someone else control over our lives. We have a problem even when that someone else is God. The God who always was and always is and always will be. And part of the issue that we have with submitting to God is the fact that it truly is a decision. It's something that we have to do ourselves. It's a choice. It isn't forced upon us. Control and authority over our lives isn't taken from us by God. Instead, he asks us, he invites us to give up our control and give up our authority and to give it to him. This next picture that we're going to pull up is one of the most famous sports photographs that's ever been taken. And for me, it illustrates how we usually think of submission. In this picture, Sonny Liston has submitted to Muhammad Ali. He didn't submit willingly. It wasn't his choice. He has literally been beaten into submission. He's been forced to submit. And there's no doubt who has control. There's no doubt who's in the position of authority, and it isn't the guy who's laying on his back. But God doesn't force us to submit this way. Sure, God could beat us into submission, but instead he calls on us to willingly submit. To willingly submit because we understand who he is and because we understand what he has done for us and because we understand what he wants to do for us. There's beauty in the submissive relationship that God wants to have with us. And the beauty of that relationship is that we don't submit out of fear of further harm. We don't submit out of fear of further harm. Instead, we submit out of loving awe. Loving awe of our God. And why are we in loving awe of our God? It's because of his awesome love for us. Our God is creator and our God is sustainer. Our God is all-powerful and he's all-knowing. Our God is pure and he's just and he's holy. And we submit because of who he is. He's the great I am. He's the true and living God. And he's the God who drew near to us. By sending his son, by sending Jesus Christ to this earth as flesh and blood. To live among us, to die for us, to rescue us, to redeem us. 
And why did he do that? Because of his great love for us. See, we submit because we understand who God is and because we know what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. We don't submit because God closed his fist so he could beat us into submission. Now we submit because he as a perfect and loving father has offered us his open hand. His open hand for us to hold on to so he can guide us and lead us and take us where we need to go. That's why we draw near to God. That's why we enter into covenant with him. Because he loves us and he is faithful to us. Because he loves us and he is faithful to us, we will love him and be faithful to him. He will be our God and we will be his people. So James is calling us back into our proper relationship with God. He's calling us back into a loving and submissive relationship with God. And to remind us of how much God loves us, James uses lover language. He uses husband and wife language. He reminds us that God's love is a possessive love. We are his, and he is ours. God's love is a jealous love. God is possessive, and he's jealous of our relationship. He is our God, he's our only God, and we are his people. And when we stray away from him, our God calls us back. He wants us back, and at the cross he demonstrated the beauty of loving envy. The beauty of loving envy. Loving envy is envy that does whatever it takes to bring their beloved back to where they belong, back to where they need to be. See, loving envy, God's loving envy is all about us. It's all about what is best for us. And don't God's actions stand in very sharp contrast to the ugliness of bitter envy, that bitter envy that only cares about me and doesn't care about anybody else. We've been called into a loving relationship with God. We've entered into an intimate relationship with God. We've pledged ourselves to an exclusive relationship with God. He is our God, and we are his people. And that's why James is able to make this shocking charge, the charge of adultery. We commit spiritual adultery when we show favoritism to some and when we discriminate against others. We commit spiritual adultery when we don't take care of those who can't take care of themselves. We commit spiritual adultery when we don't speak to others like we would like to be spoken to and when we don't speak of others as we would like to be spoken of. We commit spiritual adultery when we grab what we want at the expense of others and at the expense of the church. We commit spiritual adultery when we choose sides by bringing rivalries and politics into the church. We commit spiritual adultery when we choose to operate by worldly wisdom instead of operating by godly wisdom. We commit spiritual adultery when we choose a relationship with the world 
instead of choosing a loving relationship with God. We commit spiritual adultery when we fail to keep those covenant promises that we made to our always faithful God. Think of it this way. We are the bride of Christ. When we were baptized, we exchanged our vows. We made our promise to be faithful to God and be faithful to his son. And James tells us, how dare you, as the bride of Christ, how dare you be drawn back to your old boyfriend? How can you do that? How dare you turn back to the world and turn back to its ways? So James calls us out of adultery and he calls us back to faithfulness. Faithfulness to our God. He calls us out of rebellion and back to submission. He calls us away from our pride and back to humility. He calls us out of our pride because it's our selfish pride that resists submitting to God. And it's our selfish pride that is opposed by God. But humility... Humility tells a different story. Humility brings us to willingly submit to God. And our humility is rewarded by God with his grace. So we can either choose in our pride to stand in opposition to the almighty God. Or we can choose in humility to submit to the all-loving God. Humility knows our place in relation to God. He is creator, we are created. He is father, we are children. He is shepherd, we are sheep. He is rescuer, we are lost. He is master, we are slaves. He is protector, we are vulnerable. He is strong, we are weak. And even though we know all those kind of things, our pride still wants to shout out, I can do anything. But James calls us to humility. James calls us to, in our humility, instead echo Paul's words by asserting that I can do everything. I can do everything through God who gives me strength. We can do everything through God. James tells us that we can even resist the devil and we can make the devil flee. We can resist the devil. We can oppose Satan and make him run away. I have to admit that verse has always kind of puzzled me. It's always kind of mystified me. I know about Satan. I know the picture of Satan that's painted in the Bible. He's this powerful being. He's on the prowl. He's seeking to devour me. And I have a hard time reconciling that picture, that crafty, powerful, prowling creature who set out to destroy me with this simple recipe for dealing with him. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've never felt that bold. I've never felt that powerful. I've never felt that confident to believe that all I had to do was push back and Satan would run away. But I think now I'm beginning to understand what James has always been trying to tell me. And what he's been trying to tell me is that my strength against Satan doesn't come from my boldness and it doesn't come from my strength and it doesn't come from my confidence. Instead, our strength comes from our humility. This picture that I'm going to pull up 
Actually, I'm not going to pull up. The Rick's going to pull up of a lion and a lamb. This helps me illustrate what I mean. See, this lamb is safe from any prowling wolf that might come along. He's safe, not because he's bold, not because he's powerful, not because he's confident, not because of his own abilities, but because he has a lion behind him. See, the lamb can say, I can resist the wolf because of the lion's strength. And we can say in humility, I can resist Satan because of of God's strength. We can resist Satan, but we can only resist Satan because we have submitted to God. Because we have put our hand in his hand. Because we have put our lives in his hands. Satan's not going to flee from our power because we don't have that kind of power. Satan's going to flee because we have submitted to our all-powerful God. Our submission to God is resistance against Satan. Our humility is power. So how do we tap into that strength? How do we tap into that power that comes with humility? How do we submit? How do we not only hear James's call to submit, but actually do it? How do we take hold of God's hand so that he can lead us, so that he can protect us? How do we draw near to God so he will draw near to us? Well, James tells us that we draw near to God when we wash our hands clean from the sin of the world and when we purify our hearts by getting rid of the world's salty wisdom. In other words, we submit and draw near to God when we control our tongues. And we submit and draw near to God when we care for the poor. And we submit and draw near to God when we seek His wisdom and when we seek His peace. And we submit and draw near to God when we humble ourselves and when we pray with pure motives. And when we stray, and we do stray, when we commit adultery with the world, we can also submit to God. We can be drawn back to him. James tells us that we do that by repenting. We do that by turning away from the world and turning back to God. And James tells us that when we do turn away from God, we should mourn. We should mourn for how far we've allowed ourselves to move away from our God, to move away from our beloved. So we'll grieve, we'll mourn, we'll wail over our adultery. We'll change our laughter to mourning and we'll change our joy to gloom and we will humble ourselves before the Lord. And James gives us good news. James says, your God, your faithful God, once you have repented, once you have turned your laughter into mourning, your joy into tears, your God, your faithful God will greet you with open hands. Our God will lift us up. And our mourning will be turned to laughter and our gloom will be turned back to joy. Because he is our God, and we are his people. Let's pray. Father, we come before you to repent. Father, to acknowledge our sin, to acknowledge the fact that we are prone to wander. 
Father, we repent of our selfish pride that keeps us from submitting to you. Father, we repent for showing favoritism towards some and prejudice against others. Father, we repent for not doing what we can do to take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Father, we, we, we repent for not speaking to others in ways that honor you and honor them. And we repent for not speaking of others in ways that honor you and honor them. And Father, we repent for the times that we've been divisive and we've pushed for our own desires and our own agendas at the expense of others, at the expense of our church. And Father, we repent for straying into the arms of the world, for being unfaithful to you. So Father, we humble ourselves before you. We ask for your forgiveness And we plead with you to open your hands and lift us up into a joyous relationship with you. Father, we submit to you. We pray this prayer through the beloved name of Jesus. Amen. As for this house, we choose the Lord. As for this house, we submit to God. And we submit because we know, we know who our God is. Some of you were at the Chris Tomlin concert recently. These words will ring true to you. We know who God is. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. Our God is healer. He's awesome in power. He's our God. And we also submit because we know who we are not. We are not greater. We are not higher. We are not stronger. But our God is. And we submit because we reject bitter envy and we reject selfish ambition. We reject it. We get rid of it, bitter envy and selfish ambition. And we submit by selfishly pursuing what is best for each other. What is best for our brothers and sisters. What is best for our church. We will selfishly pursue what is best for others. And we submit by being obedient to our God. By being obedient to his will. We submit through our obedience. And we submit by repenting of our adultery with the world. We submit by admitting that we have strayed. We submit by turning away from the world and turning back to God. We submit by repenting. We submit by allowing our God to lift us back up. Back up into the loving covenant relationship that he's always desired to have with us. We submit by allowing God to lift us back up. Netherwood Park, we will submit And if you're here today and you haven't submitted to God, if you haven't become the bride of Christ by joining with him in baptism so he can wash you clean of your sins, so he can give you the Holy Spirit, so he can present you to to his Father as pure and complete, we invite you to submit to him in baptism today. Or if you're here and you're living in a relationship with the world. If you're living in a relationship with its desires, a relationship with its wisdom. 
If you're committing spiritual adultery with the world that you were called away from, won't you repent? Won't you turn away from the world? Won't you turn back to God and allow Him to forgive you and lift you back up in love? So once more there can be laughter. Once more there can be joy. Whatever you need to do today to submit to your God, we want to help. So won't you let us know what your needs are? You can do that in a couple of different ways. We're going to stand up and sing a song. You can walk to the front and let us know what your needs are. Or if you're more comfortable doing so, during that song, you can walk to the back, ask for directions to room 104. In that room, you'll find a couple of our elders, godly men who would love to talk to you about having a submissive relationship with your God. Whatever your needs are, won't you let us know while we stand up together and sing this song.